I'm Kitty Kinnon with another edition of Sound Palette, where we feature some of our area's top chefs with music. One of the newer restaurants that popped up this year is High Horse City Market in Raleigh. This week, we have High Horse founder and celebrity chef Katsuji Tanabe. He is so entertaining. He talks about his journey from Mexico to the States. You can hear his behind-the-scenes experience on Top Chef. What is it really like? Who influenced his unique style of cooking and his concept of fun dining? And how much he loves living in the South. When he was competing on Top Chef, he ended up in Charleston. And that's where he developed such a love for the South and the culture of Southern living. So he decided to up and move his family from L.A. to Raleigh. And he has totally immersed himself in our community. I think when people think about the South, they think more of like, I don't know, Louisiana or Mississippi or Jacksonville, things like that. But Raleigh, you know, when people say welcome to the South, I, I was like, okay, I, I, it doesn't feel like that. But And by the way, I don't know what I'm supposed to feel on the South. The only thing that I realize is there's sweet tea at every restaurant. But I, I, I find out that uh, Pepsi was invented in the Carolinas, mm-hmm. Mountain Dew was invented in the Carolinas, and uh, Mountain Dew was uh, actually invented to pair or mix with moonshine. So I'm actually serving Pepsi in glass bottles at my restaurant. That one and cheer wine. That one I never tasted until I moved to the south. And I actually am cooking with it. So it's very tasty. It has sweetness. It has a little bit of acid, spice, nutmeg, clove. Well, I'm sure it was a blessing when you moved to the south. Here in Raleigh, you have everything at your fingertips. You have all this produce and you have seafood from the ocean. One of the interesting things about living in Los Angeles is the fact that we don't have really a seasons. You know, we, we don't have, you know, it's all summer all year. So you can get strawberries all year. You can get watermelon all year. All year. But here in a, this part of the, the country, you know, the, you can actually see and feel like summer, autumn, winter, and then the flavors, your cravings, the aromas change it completely. So as a chef, that's like what we're looking for. We're looking to change our menus every three months, every four months, and create something unique that embraces the, the aromas and the flavors from the locations. I was looking to move out of L.A. I was looking to have a better quality of life, something more like slow down my pace of life. And Raleigh kept appearing in a lot of searches that my wife and I kept doing about like where to move, what's up and coming. And uh, I took a risk and uh, I came over here and I really enjoyed it. I remember landing in the, I'm in the middle of the forest. It's like <laughs> green, 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 everything was green. Now right. everything's brown and it looks amazing because it looks like a movie, you know. Yeah, I guess it would the first time coming from L.A. It really is beautiful here in North Carolina. So let's talk a little bit about your background because it's so crucial in your culinary adventures. Didn't you open the first kosher Mexican restaurant in the United States that was in L.A.? And then I opened it in New York and then in Queens. And I know that people just flocked to those restaurants. They loved it so much. I'm having the same feeling here in Raleigh. When I opened Mexico here in LA, people were like, oh my God, thank you so much for opening a place like this. We need it. You know, we need more um, choices. We need better food. And now that I'm opening High Horse here in a city market, people are coming and they're like, oh my God, thank you so much for picking our city. Thank you so much for bringing this. It just makes me feel like, wow, people are so nice, like so nice. And the number one thing I've been hearing lately at the restaurant, it's, it doesn't feel like a Raleigh restaurant. I don't know if it's a good thing or a bad thing, but people are like, I don't feel like I'm in Raleigh. I don't feel like I'm 
every other restaurant that I go here. My general manager, he's like, well, in Raleigh, people are used to have lots of lights in the restaurant. And I was like, great, we're not following whatever else it's doing. Well, uh, I think we should lower the volume of the music and not go so heavy on hip hop. And I was like, no, we are doing this for a reason. There's a reason behind everything that I do. People are embracing the dark place. People are embracing the hip hop music, the women's bathroom. It's a showpiece on its own. Everything has to be a little better. It's all about in the details. I'm bringing flavors. I'm bringing different style of cooking. I, uh, I don't come here to compete. I don't come here to be the best. I come here to embrace my new city, my new home, my new family, uh, you know, the, the place where my family is going to be uh, raised and get older. So, you know, I, I just want to be able to, you know, have a great life in this in this new new city for me. Yeah, because when people say it doesn't feel like Raleigh, that's why, because you're bringing your essence. Mm-hmm. And again, we talked about authenticity. I'm definitely more of a basic bitch. Right. Me- <laughs> meaning like rosé and champagne all day. And I literally have the largest selection of champagne and bubbles in the city of Raleigh. Lately, I've been getting into a lot of Pinot, but bubbles, it's literally my life. I'd like my life to be bubbles. All the wines that we have at the restaurant were picked by me. I, uh, I'm the one who's creating the food, and I'm very good with wine. So literally, if you go to the restaurant, every single wine was picked by, by me. When you first got to Top Chef, where were you at that point when you decided you were going to enter Top Chef? Where were you in your career at that point? The first time I did Top Chef, which was uh, Top Chef Boston, uh, season 12, I just opened my first restaurant in Beverly Hills, Mexico Osher. This is interesting. Me, I got in line with everybody else with a piece of paper and talked to the producers, and I did this 11 seasons in a row. And 11 seasons in a row saying no, 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 no. But then season 12 came, and I said yes. And then after season 12, then came the Mexico season, and they, I got invited. And then the All-Star season came out, and then I got invited back. I tell people, you gotta keep trying. I tried 11 times. But at that time, I was literally on the first year of my first restaurant in Beverly Hills, Mexico. Then I realized it was two months of my life. And when I came back, my place almost went out of business because my managers didn't know how to run the business correctly. I wondered about that, too. When someone has a restaurant in the beginning and then you go off to do something like that, I think many chefs don't realize what's involved. Oh, absolutely. They don't tell you that this is going to be, or do they? No, they don't. And there's no cell phone, there's no TV, there's no music, there's no radio. There's, obviously, there's no internet or email access. Yeah. They, they take away everything that, it's, um, that gives you contact with the outside world. They remove everything that it's personal space. You sleep at least with three people per room in individual bunk beds. And they wake you up every morning with cameras in your bed at 5 a.m. And they, um, you go to sleep around 2 in the morning. So after a couple of weeks of doing this every day, you know, it, your body and your mind start getting, uh, start taking a toll. And that's when you start making culinary mistakes. And that's when flares come out and that's when the good TV starts. So it really is kind of a survival. You're in a survival Absolutely. Mode. It's, you know, people always ask me like, well, do they tell you what to say? I said, no, no one tells me what to say. I, I do what I want. And people need to understand that Top Chef is the only reality show that I know that people that go to this competition are professionals, are people that are already successful. It's not people looking for fame or looking to be on TV. This is not The Bachelor. You know, this is not about... Uh, 
Or it's not a home cook who decided they wanted to yeah, you know, make the best apple pie. Yeah, it, being a chef, it's like an extreme, extreme sport with a lot of crying. But you are perfect for oh. that role, man. You're just like right in there and in people's faces. You, you're determined the same way as I hear you saying you tried out so many times. It's fun to watch, I have to say. Thank you. I, I, didn't move to, I did not move to this country to be just one more. You know, I, I wanted to be successful. I wanted to be good for my families. I want to embrace my city. I want to embrace my, my new style of cooking. And I meant new style of cooking because I've been falling in love with the produce, with the elements of this area. Country ham, the shrimp, the rice, the watermelons. But, you know, something very interesting about Dwalik, I knew if I didn't move full-time here to this city. I don't think the, the city, the community will embrace the restaurant the way it's being embraced. I didn't want to be that chef that will open a place and be like, okay, bye-bye, next, next town. I really fell in love with the city. I fell in love with the charm, the little, you know, especially when I, where my restaurant is, the Cobblestone City Market. I definitely want to turn that area around and make it more of a date night place. You know, we have Glenwood Avenue that it's, it's great if you're under 25, but what about me, you know, like I'm almost 29 right now. Actually, no, I'm like 32. Uh, Still a baby. Actually, no, yeah. Uh, no, I'm 39. Um, but what about the people like us that we want to go out on a date night? We want to have a, a good meal, a great drink, and probably stay for longer. I don't have to go to a college bar in order to get that. I, I realized there was that niche for, you know, the contemporary adult that likes to have fun because I'm getting older, but I'm not old. That's a big difference. And I want to create this fun dining. You know, you can get fed at any places, but why they pick our restaurants? Because the people want to be entertained. People want to be part of an experience. You know, the food, it's an extremely important component of every single trip, every single experience. You know, my life, it's surrounded by food. So I want to be able to give the same um, feeling in my in my restaurant you know people always say well the, the term fun dining it's overused and i was like well if you come to my restaurant you're gonna see what really fun dining it is i'm yeah. rustic I, I like burning a lot of the stuff that's why everything's cooked over wood fire yeah. everything's charred everything's kind of a little burn i like the imperfections in the food i think imperfections is what makes you unique you talked about High Horse being an experience, and you've expanded that. And I got to say, your idea about those shots, throwing them outdoors, is so much fun. The, the first week when I was in Raleigh, I was doing scouting, and I was looking at all these restaurants. And something that they all have in, have in common as a fun factor in the restaurant business, there were cornholes. Cornhole games. There's cornholes Everywhere. But I realized people like to throw things into something. So I was like, okay, so let's embrace that uh, throwing into something more unique. So I came out with the idea of making these uh, shot glasses made out of ice, put a whiskey cocktail inside and go outside. And, and then you throw the cocktail after, obviously, you have to drink it. And then you hit the bell. I remember many, many years ago, you would, people, when, when smoking was cool, people will have dinner and be like, oh, we're going to go and take a smoke break. And they will go outside, have a right. smoke break, have a drink, and then come back and continue with the dinner. So instead of doing that, uh, we're pushing people to go and have a shot outside, hit the bell, come back. And again, it's a fun experience. It's about getting you out of your comfort zone and, and let us take care of you. Let us entertain you. When I put on the menu a tasting of local country hams, most of my managers, my partners, 
they were like, who's going to order country ham? You know, it's super salty and they usually serve it with bread and gravy. And I, I was like, I'm going to treat them like a very fine prosciutto or an Iberico ham from Spain. And we are serving these three like amazing local hams. And I, I just can't keep it off. But the funny thing, country hams come with instructions <laughs> and it says slice thick and pan fry. And there's nothing worse that you can do to these country hams than slice it. Slice it thick and pan fried. It just becomes a super salty thing. But, you know, I, I got this Italian hand crank slicer. It's a showpiece in the middle of the, the kitchen. And we're slicing hams every night. And it's just an experience to, to see that. It's happening the same with the okra. I have an okra dish. You know, I slice it thick and then we pan fry it over wood fire. So some of that smokiness mm. will get into the okra. I pan fry it until it gets crispy on the edges. So like a little chart. We had some fresh garlic literally at the last minute, so it's still quite hot. And for this season, I'm doing a Mexican mayonnaise, which, what's a Mexican mayonnaise? It's mayonnaise from Mexico that has lime. So we put this Mexican mayonnaise on top of the okra, and then I take some bonito flakes and then fresh squeezed lime. It's not slimy. It's not what I expected. It's different. I, I've been serving so much okra lately. I've been going to the farmer's market. It literally represents what a farmer market it is. You know, in LA, the farmer's market, it's a, it's a little different. It's more of a fashion statement and who's there and blah, blah, blah. But here, literally, it's a farmer's market that they're selling big quantities of produce. You want potatoes, there's potatoes. You want pumpkin, you know, and you're talking to the person who actually grows that. They grow it, they set up shop and then they put it away every night and it feels like you're in a market in Mexico that you're walking around and looking at the produce. So that's been a very cool experience as well. Tell me about when you were growing up. My family has always been into cooking. Every single event, every single gathering, there's always a, sp a specific dish. Uh, my grandmother was like the matriarca, how do you say, like the mother mm -hmm. of, the, of the family. And every Thursday, we will get together all the cousins at my grandma's house, and she will make very specific dishes that we all love. And I was <laughs> the only one with her in the kitchen, and she would let me play around, and she always let me like burn things or overcook <laughs> or... You know, my, my first experience with cooking was in, in the microwave. You know, she would let me make pizzas in the microwave or cook chorizo in the microwave because at, at least I was not going to burn myself. But there were certain dishes that they were always part of our culture, our life. And then from my father's side, very Japanese, very umami oriented, very kind of healthy, seafood oriented. And they will have, again, certain dishes like Sundays. We will, my dad will make tempura. I, the first dish that I remember that changed my life, uh, it was at my grandfather's birthday, and they hired a chef to come and cook a paella. And I remember I was playing Nintendo. My grandma, she's like, hey, come down here. You're going you're gonna to enjoy this. I paused the game, and I spent the next four hours with this chef learning how to make paella. I was seven years old. My grandmother said, like, you know, he's going to be a chef. And that's when my dad said, absolutely no. <laughs> He's like, we didn't spend all this money in education and everything. He's like, no, he's not going to be a chef. He could be a doctor. He could be a lawyer. He could be whatever he wants, but not a chef. Sometimes the more they tell you no, the more you want it. So here you are. The only reason that I accomplished to be a chef, it was me leaving my country. And when I moved here, I was like, well, I'm going to be a chef now. I started in Mexico. I will sneak out of my house. You know, people will sneak out to go out party and drinking. I will sneak out to work at a caring business to wash dishes. And I hated this chef. He was such an ass. He didn't want to use uh, hot water for washing so I will use powder soap cold water coming out of a hose and uh, rocks 
to wash these big pans that cook tortillas. But yeah, I, I started from the bottom. I, I'm glad it happened to me because it helped me to build character. It helped me to appreciate. It helped me to be a better leader because I lead with example. I embrace my people. I embrace people working in the industry. I hire these washers and I tell them, you have six months to get out from the pit. You got to be something else. But when I get like these like 21, 24 year kids that are washing dishes, that they're eager to learn, I see the, the, the fire in their eyes and I want to embrace it. Because when I was a kid, when I was uh, coming in this career, I was never embraced. I was never taken under someone's wing, you know. I created my own style of cooking and especially I like that's the reason why I became the best uh, kosher chef in America because I pretty much wrote the book on how to make kosher food taste like it's not kosher. So let's talk about your food. Let's talk about the scope and the variety of what you're serving. It's not a Mexican restaurant. That's for sure. It's not a Japanese restaurant. It's not a fusion restaurant. You know, I'm not doing, I don't know, uh, tempura tamales. No, no, that's not happening. It's not, we're, we're not taking things that don't go together and uh, make them happen. That's not, that's not what I'm trying to do. I take the Japanese umami as a base. That's my base for my cooking. That's what's gonna bring all the flavors. Then I use the Mexican spices, chilies, cumin, cinnamon, lots of lime juice. I use a lot of lime juice. And then I take what I have learned in this country. I moved here when I was 19 years old. I was just an immature kid that didn't have a style. But I've been here 20 years, and those 20 years have built me or have shaped me into the chef that I am. Yes, of course, I use my, my background, my Japanese, my Mexican, but I embrace the flavors of where I am. You know, I, I learned how to cook in this country. I learned how to become a very good chef here, and that's where we're, we're serving. So it's all about embracing the traditional cooking methods. And I, and I don't mean like French style. I mean cooking over wood. It's extremely, it's beautiful. It's sexy. It's it's, it's a showpiece, it's an entertainment, but at the same time, it's been difficult because I'm the only restaurant that has exclusively mm -hmm. just wood fire. And, you know, it, it's been a learning curve for my guys because you can't lower temperature. And if you miss to put that log, your fire takes 10 minutes to go back alive. So it's been definitely an interesting experience of showing these guys how to use the wood, how to cook my style of cooking. It's definitely a learning curve for everybody, including the guests as well. I, I, don't, I don't have customers, by the way. I have guests. It seems like it's, uh, it's such a natural way to cook because you just can't replicate those flavors any other way except on an open fire. I explain guests, like, you know, there's imperfections in the food. We're cooking over live wood. The uniqueness of my cooking at High Horse is the fact that there's little imperfections because the wood fire will give you charred pieces, a little on the smoky side. You know, those imperfections is what I'm trying to embrace. Okay, let's talk about some of my favorite dishes at High Horse. I love the cauliflower. Cauliflower dish. So we charred the cauliflower, very, very, very dark, and saute with garlic, finish it with burnt honey, because we burn it mm. over the live fire, burnt honey, chilies, mint, dill, cilantro. Mm. Give us a few other signature dishes from High Horse. One of the greatest memories, it's always carne asada, uh, grill steak. There's many different variations of grill steak in Mexico. For my father and our family, it was always about a thick cut of meat, you know, like two inches and thicker. So at the restaurant, we take this New York steak. It's a small piece. I cook it directly on the ambers. I don't cook it on the grill. I cook it directly. So 
it's, it's going to have that ash. And once it's cooked, we, we brush the ash off. But that ash actually gives a lot of flavor. In Mexico, ash and burnt, it's a big component of the Mexican culture. So in this case, we char the steak and then we make this burnt salsa. But the, the idea is the fact that the way we make the salsa. We throw the tomatoes, we throw the onions, and we throw the chilies, again, into the ambers until they get burned. Once they're burned, we blend it and we make a salsa. Uh, I have a dish that consists of burnt onions. Burnt onions. And we burn them until they turn into charcoal. And then we blend that charcoal, and it's a burnt flavor with the aromas of onion. But it doesn't taste like burnt. It, it just gives you a very interesting flavor. Like I was saying before, in Mexico, ash burnt, it's a big component. Mexicans, we were the first ones to actually use toothpaste. And the toothpaste was the outside leaves of the corn charred until a powder. And then they will brush their teeth with what we call nowadays activated charcoal. As a culture, we have always been very clean, number one, and two, very unique in our cooking. But, you know, we have tamales de ceniza. So they're ash tamales that you actually incorporate some of the ashes from the corn into the masa to give that beautiful color. We burn chilies. We don't char. We burn them. We burn it until they're dark and then we peel them and then you get these like mm. fire roasted peppers which yeah. they call it in America. What about desserts and cocktails? Ooh. Two of my favorite things. Desserts. <laughs> I all about having fun with desserts. I have a, a great pastry chef. She's born raised, never left this town in Durham actually and now she's working for the first time in Raleigh. You know, she's is really good. What's her name? I don't know her name. No, no, no. Uh, Katie Moss. I'm all about details and experience and how fun could it be a dessert. The one that it's going wildly popular, it's my red velvet cake that it's called the chosen one. But it's it's a cake on the shape of a unicorn and it's served with unicorn farts, which are restaurant made uh, cotton candy. Uh, and then you cut open the red velvet cake and there's mini M&Ms. And then we put a sparkler. So that's a, a whimsical kind of fun dessert. My favorite is our... Um, cherry pie. So we bring these cherries from Italy. Oh my God, these cherries are just amazing. And the crust, it's a large butter crust. We use both lard and, and butter. It's just so simple, but it's mm. so good. We have this one called Slap My Mango. It, it's a you know, puff pastry and we layer mango mousse and then we give you a little syringe, mango juice with spices, cardamom, cinnamon, fennel, uh, anise, and then you squeeze that all over the, the, the dish and then you slap it, you break the phyllo dough, the puff pastry, and it's just, I, I, I'm, in, I'm in love with mangoes. And cocktails, the cocktails are amazing. We have this one that we put a popsicle inside of the cocktail, and we're using a local meat company, uh, Honey Meat. It has a honey meat, it has champagne. Uh, I have a great mixologist. Uh, his name is Jamie Lynn. He's from Kentucky, a great guy. And I, I had one rule when I, when he became part of the team. I was like, you you have total freedom to create any cocktail that you want. The only thing you're not allowed to do is put names on the cocktails. And between my social media person, Anna, and myself, we came out with all these mean girl uh, movie names. So every single name for the cocktails have a, you know, basic bitch type of funny uh, name. And obviously we have classics, you know, we have right. Manhattans, we have New York, you know, we have... Uh, so I, I have a very extensive wine collection. And some of the wines that actually are at the restaurant are part of our own private collection uh, of my partner and myself. We have them there. You could buy them. 
they're not cheap, but you could mm -hmm. buy them. But we want to embrace more of the wine culture. So we have one of the cheapest price for wine. Actually, they don't like to say cheap. They like to say very affordable pricing. Our most affordable wine starts at $7. Wow. We, we want people to embrace wine because, again, the fire, the wood, the, the meat, all that stuff. I, I think wine goes amazingly. How did you come up with the name High Horse? The space at the... The restaurant it's located back in the day used to be a barn, a horse barn or horse whatever. And the other side of the restaurant used to be a blacksmith. Oh, a high horse by horses. Casey Musgraves. You can never find the name of the barn. I, I always like horses. They were always part of my life. And we, we knew we wanted to use a horse name or some type of horse-oriented something. And then I've been flying a lot lately and I end up listening to a country singer, which I, I'm not a country person. I, t I was driving in, in L.A., and I said to my daughters, they were in the back, I was like, hey, you guys want to hear a new song that I just found that it's really cool? And they're like, yeah. And then it was this, it's this song called High Horse, or Get Off Your High Horse. I called my partner, and I was like, hey, what do you think about the name High Horse? And he's like, oh, I really like it. I was like, well, okay, I, I guess we have a name. I think City Market could be turned into a culinary destination within Raleigh. When you think in L.A. terms, like more of an old town Pasadena mm -hmm. or, you know, just an old feeling that it's great for clubs, it's great for bars, it's great for restaurants. It's the old and the new all combined. Let's say the place has so much potential to embrace a lot of new chefs, a lot of new bartenders, a lot of new managers. And I think people will start noticing that. All right, Chef, now is the time for your pairing. Pick a signature dish and pair it with a piece of music. What do you think? So I was thinking, what do I like to cook when I'm at home and what gets me in the mood? And I, I go back to a comfort food for me, that it's steak and salsa. I love New York steak. That's why we have it at the restaurant. And I make this rub that it's salt, dashi, that it's a Japanese powder, that it's bonito flakes and brown sugar. And I put that on my steak and then I pan grill them, you know, just nice crusty on the outside. And then I do my char salsa, which literally we put tomatoes, onions and jalapenos over the barbecue grill or the charcoal grill or the live fire. And I burn them. Yeah, I burn them really bad. Then I blend it. I add fish sauce, fresh lime juice, and I take some chopped cilantro. So there's nothing more exciting for me that you know have that like four inches high a New York steak, thick slice, and then dump all that like hot and warm on top of the steak. But I just think you know when, when I'm making the salsa and I'm cooking and I'm like I keep thinking about like the song uh, Juicy by Biggie. You know, <laughs> I like the part when he's like this song goes dedicated so I always say like you know this food is dedicated to all the people that say that I will never make it in life that people that keep calling the health department and while I was just trying to make some tacos to feed my family so I take I, I take his uh, lyrics and I, I make it into cooking something you know that was Chef Katsuji Tanabe of High Horse Restaurant, downtown Raleigh and City Market. If you have not been there yet, you got to check it out. It is so unique, as is Chef. That's why I couldn't stop talking to him. And by the way, Chef Tanabe will be one of the celebrity judges for the finale of Cooking for Classic March 11th, all to benefit the Lucy Daniels Center. I'm Kitty Kinnan. Thanks so much for listening and feel free to share.